On the Slay Queens podcast, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Hello, everybody. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? I am doing exceptionally well. How are you? I'm in a good mood today. We were just discussing this this pre-record. Literally, like, two seconds ago. We're in a great mood today. We're just a bit unorganized. It's, it's a vibe. <laughs> so welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Mostly welcome back to you, though, Ashley. And you, too. But mostly, mostly, welcome back to all the queens, kings, and folks to the Slay Queens podcast. The podcast where we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. That I is correct. for you. Always, always. I got you. The podcast where we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. And we also take a medium-sized dive-ish mm-hmm. into the Rainbow Star. If you're new here, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for <laughs> joining us today and hopefully many, many, many days to come. But if you are new here, the Rainbow Star is rainbow because we're queer, star because we're giving spotlights. We are offering thank yous. We are making announcements or acknowledgements, and we are also giving you folks recommendations. And who shall start? I think you've got the spotlight today. I do, but yes. I was hoping that you would give me a per use. Per use, <laughs> you should start. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, today we would like to spotlight the queer podcast, Ad, that's A-D, Creeps, just like Creeps, podcast. They are extremely entertaining and they've shown us some love on the social medias recently. I have listened to a couple of episodes of their podcast at this point. I will be listening to more in the future. I say a couple because I'm juggling a ton of podcasts right now. Uh I totally feel that. (laughs) Just for you folks, a basic description. The hosts dissect and correct the TV ads that raised us, phased us, and amazed us. And as, again, someone who's listened to a couple of those episodes, I can vouch for all of those things. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I really did. I really enjoyed their podcast. I actually even went on Apple Podcasts and gave them a five-star rating review because I was so impressed. Oh, that's awesome. And speaking of Apple Podcasts, podcasts and five-star rates and reviews we did receive a couple of those this week Ooh, uh, segue queen i do believe we did get a review and i can't remember the the screen name associated right now but i believe the other was just a five-star rating so there was no screen name associated if you're listening you know who you are Thank and you. we appreciate you <laughs> so so much i think that takes us into announcement or acknowledgement territory it does do you have anything for us today ashley So yeah, I feel like I have a bit of an acknowledgement and I want to acknowledge that there can be a a, a movie or a TV show or something of entertainment value that has some of your favorite actors, actresses can do no wrong, never been in a bad movie in your opinion, and they can still make a bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) They can prove you wrong. They can. Ooh, do tell. I'm so intrigued. Spoiler alert. And I don't want to say it's bad. It's just a lot of hype for like little, it was anticlimactic in my opinion, the little things. It's an HBO Max. It's on there. I guess I think that HBO actually made the movie. It's Denzel Washington. Oh, Jared Leto. Yes. Very well acted, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the other, what's his name? Ramey. I can't remember his name. He's one of the other, like, the guy that played Freddie Mercury. Yes. I love, and what a great Freddie. I mean, who else could play that? I can't think of uh, of anyone. It was dead on looking. So, yeah, great 
cast, great acting, great plot line too. I mean, and then you just get to the end and it's kind of just like, okay, Game of Thrones, that kind of oh, vibe where you're just like, what just happened? I see. You're not going to just end it like that. That can't, what? So many question marks. It's like when you come to the end of a true crime story and you're like, man, that wasn't fair. You know, that wasn't fair. So I give it like, Sierra asked me, she's like, what would you rate it? And I said, I say seven out of 10 only because I really liked the, the actors and were great. The editing was great. The theme was great. It was just the ending that really, spoiler alert, it's, it's kind of upsetting. Yeah. And unfortunately, especially I feel like with films like that, mm-hmm. you're building up to that payoff in the end. Yep. And if you don't get it, what the hell were you sitting Why did there? I, I was so excited for months <laughs> for this movie to come out and I finally watched it. Yeah. So yeah. What Do you have anything? I do have a recommendation. So. Yesterday, when I was trying to figure out what we might be doing for the podcast, not today's episode, but the episode Mm -hmm. next, I was trying to get uh, ahead a little bit. I was running through that list that we have, you know, the ongoing list of potential cases that we Mm -hmm. might cover at some point. Mm -hmm. And the Menendez brothers caught my eye. And I went in to see whether or not there was like a good documentary out there about the Menendez brothers. And there are actually a few of them. Uh, I wanted something that was fairly up to date because, full disclosure, I started watching one that was from, like, the 90s that I I didn't love a lot of what I was seeing and hearing. Mm-hmm. And then there was one from 2016, 2017, which had a lot of updated information. And socially, a lot of the things that were being said yeah. were, were far more appropriate. So I watched that one. And this documentary is actually called Truth and Lies, The Menendez Brothers. <gasps> You may be able to... I think I watched this one. Did you? I think so. I watched it on... What is that? Vimeo? I feel like that's the one that I watched. Go was on, it, Was it a multi-part? Yes. Because there's a multi-part. Okay, so this was uh, just like a 45, 50-minute okay, documentary. Okay. I also, in my just perusing the internet, stumbled upon a multi-part. I think it was like five episodes yeah. on Hulu that was like... Eric speaks or you know something that sounded very dramatic like that which I did add to my watch list but this was something that was a little bit different this is just a one-parter and I really 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 enjoyed it Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really well-made documentary I learned things about this case that I never knew and this is one of those cases that I kind of sort of remember happening in real time I mean I was young very young but I kind of remember what was going on in real time. And I learned things that I had never heard before. Very, very, very well done documentary. And the reason I'm making it a recommendation though, rather than saving it as something to do a whole Slay Queens episode on is because after having watched it and being refreshed on some of the details and learning a few new things, I don't necessarily think that it's appropriate for our platform Mm -hmm. because we try to focus on cases involving people that are part of the queer community sure and i think people at one time assumed that this had something to do with the queer community but it had more to do with child abuse definitely and child rape definitely and i am sick of people associating that sort of behavior and those crimes with the queer community absolutely so for that reason i don't want to present that on this platform. I can agree with that. But 
it was a really, really good documentary. Mm-hmm. It was really well done. And if you know anything about that case or know nothing about that case. It's an interesting case. It's a messed up case. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on, on everything that you said about it. See, <laughs> Honestly. Because, yeah, because there were older documentaries and, like I said, things that I was hearing and learning as a child in real time that, well, yeah. A, I maybe didn't understand as well, but B, as they were being reported to the general public there were these assumptions that Eric was gay Mm -hmm. and there was this belief that he was gay and there was this belief that their father uh, Jose Menendez was was a closet homosexual that's all speculation really all we know is that the children allege that the father had abused them sexually Mm -hmm. that doesn't a queer person make Absolutely not. And I don't want to perpetuate that stereotype for some people. I don't want to add any credence to that. So though I do think it's a fascinating case, and I think this is a really well done documentary, totally recommend that our Slay Queens, Kings and Folks go out and watch it. I don't want it to be categorized as... A queer case. A queer case, for yeah. sure. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. The one thing I remember, though, from that case when I was younger was the fact that there was, like, Saturday Night Live skits about them. Like, yeah, poking really fun sad. at them. And I'm just, even being so young, I'm like, why would you make fun of something like that? It was really kind of gut-wrenching, the part of the documentary that focused specifically on the allegations of the sexual abuse and... Mm-hmm. This was the very first case ever where there were cameras allowed in the courtroom. So you see these testimonies of these men just breaking down, talking about this abuse that they endured. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad and it's appalling that because the general public and the general population saw that, they then turned it into satire and made these poor men and the abuse that they suffered and their pain a joke. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't want it to sound like I'm speaking negatively of this documentary because I'm doing the opposite. It's a great documentary. I just don't think that it's appropriate for for us. us. Do we have anything else? I don't have anything else. Do you? I don't think so. But we do have a story. We do. And I'm, I'm excited about this one. This is a oh, good one. We always one. say this every We always time. say that. But hey, we we're just excited to be here. We are. Always. Yep. And uh, I've got some updates that I think I'm... you probably oh, don't know about. Oh, this is a case that I feel like we'll have some good updates, yeah. like some good things. And I, I was thinking that yesterday when I was finishing up notes. I'm like, I cannot wait to hear what he has to say. <laughs> well, I'm excited to share it with you. And let's do that maybe after a quick break. Yes, let's do that. All right. Quick break. We are back, 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 back again. We are. (laughs) Again, again. (laughs) Again and again and again and again. We are. Okay. It is time. You are going to eloquently and graciously. (laughs) I don't know about all that, but we'll we'll try. (laughs) We're going to try. You are going to be our recap, review, retell the story queen this week, correct? That is correct. All right. And I will attempt to be the research queen because I do have some... uh, some pretty interesting tea to spill. I bet you do. I just have a feeling. I had this overwhelming feeling yesterday that you were going to have a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Not a lot, but I do have some good stuff. Some good bits anyway. Yes. I'll start us off. IMDb has this episode of Forensic Files. Dun, dun, dun. We love the <laughs> HLN network. We do. Listed as season 12, episode 25. The original air date was June 28th, 2008. For me, on Hulu, it was season 12, episode 26 which we've kind of talked about how it's a little different yeah, depending a little on the bit collections. Different. So the synopsis says, A pair of lesbian lovers were found murdered in Oregon. 
Forensic investigators trace fingerprints found on duct tape used to bind them and make a composite sketch of a man seen nearby. And the name of the episode? Printed Proof. Printed Proof. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I You're didn't, welcome. I was like, what did I miss? I know I'm missing something that seems incomplete. Okay. <laughs> there should be more. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so we open this episode in a nightclub. Women dancing, scantily clad, got the UV lights going. You know, you're getting the vibe, right? Okay. Exactly. All of it. The narrator comes on and says, he was obsessed with an exotic dancer. And then another man's voiceover is heard. He's giving us a few details, you know, the typical teasers of what that statement might mean for the rest of the episode. But for me, I feel like we should just get to that information later. A lot of spoilers in that information. Yeah, for sure. So I was like, I'm just going to skip past that. Now we jump into the story. It's a somber tale about Roxanne Ellis, a residential real estate agent in Oregon. She'd apparently planned to have a last-minute showing with an unnamed man, and she was showing him a vacant apartment. Her daughter Lori appears on screen and tells us that she did not know who the person was, and she usually would tell her daughter the name and everything about it, but I guess this information this time just hadn't been shared. I'm guessing it's because it was a last-minute thing. In Roxanne's planner for the day, it simply read the address of the Sheridan Court apartment and the time, which was 11 o'clock. And I thought it was really interesting when they were kind of setting that whole situation up. They specifically said, residential real estate in Medford, Oregon is extremely competitive. I I had a note about how I was like, it was due to the competitive nature, but I'm like, I don't know, is that relevant? But I thought it was kind of interesting too. Well, it gave me pause because I was like, how competitive is it really? (laughs) So competitive that, well, I mean, obviously you ended up on an episode of the Forensic Files, but- I was thinking, how booming of a metropolis is Medford, Medford, Oregon? So, I did some research. Oh, I love this. Yep, I looked it up. The city is approximately 25 square miles in size, and as of 2019, the population was just over 81,000 people. And just to put that in perspective for you, and for me, and for hopefully all the rest of the folks as well, Cincinnati, which is where we reside, Mm -hmm. it's not really considered by U.S. standards to be a large city. It's not a small town, but it's a small city. And I make that distinction to people a lot when we're talking about it. Cincinnati is 80 square miles in size, and the population as of 2019 was just over 301,000. So overall, size and population-wise, Cincinnati is about three times larger than Medford. Yeah. So how competitive... I wonder, like, is there only, like, so many homes to sell that everyone who's a real estate agent is competitive? That's actually a really good point that I didn't consider. Yeah, maybe because it is such a smaller place that makes real estate more competitive because there are so few properties. Look at you being all smart. (laughs) I don't know. It's my only consideration, I guess. (laughs) No, I think that's brilliant. So, But anyway, please continue. Brilliant. I like that. Thank you. So, a few hours later, Roxanne called her business partner, Michelle Abdil, and asked her to come pick her up, and she said that her car battery was dead and she needed a ride. No one heard from either woman after that call. Ah, the plot thickens. (laughs) It does. Lori Ellis, the daughter that I mentioned before, says she called her mom a bunch of times and sent her multiple pages, which made me a little nostalgic for a bit. <laughs> yeah. She had a pager and a cell phone, and I'm like, oh, no, she was doing pretty well, huh? 95. I mean, she's a busy, like, real estate agent in an extremely competitive market. That's I mean, right. She needs all the things. All she the... needs all the things. <laughs> 
She is up and coming. So friends and family call the police to report the two women missing. Police find Michelle's car, so the partner's car, in the parking lot of the apartment complex that she had gone to pick up Roxanne from. The car had been left unlocked with expensive items such as a leather coat and a camcorder, as she said, inside. And I'm like, camcorder? I haven't heard that in forever. I mean, that was a big deal back in the day. It was. Like, you were kind of it if you got your camcorder walking around doing, you know, summer vacation, recording everything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So her daughter says that she never would have left the car unlocked and that that was kind of when she knew that something was definitely wrong. So now we meet Deputy Chief tim george (laughs) an investigator in the case and he just says this it just stunk the whole thing stunk big time (laughs) (laughs) he did stunk big time yeah which i it it, it made me giggle it did it made me giggle and i also love that he was so emphatic and like you know we actually put detectives on the case that night and i'm like well you it's women are missing and (laughs) i thought that was amazing though and i even made a note i even made a note of it because there was none of this you gotta wait 24 to 48 hours Mm -hmm. until they can be officially considered missing persons bullshit. Yeah. So good for you, Medford. Absolutely. And thank you. Because you really did kind of go around the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Tim George. Tim George. They they took this seriously, and I appreciated that. Absolutely. So Roxanne Ellis's vehicle, a silver Toyota pickup truck, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly it would be, yeah. Duh. Was nowhere to be found. Inside the rental property that was to be shown, police found no signs of a struggle or evidence of violence, and also no blood. So basically nothing. There's nothing going on inside that rental property. So <laughs> the the other detective guy that pops up on the screen, uh-huh. he said there was no biological evidence, no blood, nothing that was visible to the human eye, to which I'm now screaming at my television. I'm like, this is an episode of Forensic Files. <laughs> Where is the luminol test, bitch? That's, that's so true. <laughs> they didn't do a luminol they test. They didn't do a luminol <gasps> test. Was, that's so funny. I was screaming at my TV. <laughs> I'm like, this is the one episode of the Forensic they Files totally where they it. don't do a luminol test. That's Come so on. so funny. They totally missed it. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I love that you brought that up. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. So after, I love this too. After several days, the church held a vigil to keep focus on the case, which number one, amazing because it's like, what a great idea. You don't want it to fall by the wayside. You want everybody in the community to be like, hey, we need to find these women. And number two, I wrote, Wow, wow, for lesbians in 1995. And this small community yes. in the 90s for a missing lesbian couple. Yeah. I actually made a note of it as well. I thought it yes. was beautiful. Absolutely. I loved that. Now we kind of see some old footage of, you know, the time of the crime, some really heartbreaking clips of Lori, the daughter, sobbing and speaking, you know, about how she just doesn't know where they are. She just wants to know where they are. You know, basically just pleading with anybody to help, you know, give information. If Are they okay? The narrator drops the bomb on us now. The narrator says, The two women were not just business partners. They also had a personal relationship, which led police to consider another possibility. Not just, <laughs> not a, just good a good Judy. Judy. Yeah. Yeah. More not... like air quotes roommate <laughs> for the time <laughs> situation. Roommate. Yeah. So the prosecutor, Mark Huddleston, tells us that they were, quote, domestic partners and very outspoken on gay issues and things that would quote, positively impact gay rights issues. 
which I'm just like, I, I he obviously did not know how to like address that at all. He was very uncomfortable. He was very uncomfortable in the situation. I absolutely agree with you. I also, because he didn't give us more of an explanation than that, and he seemed so uncomfortable and mm-hmm. unconfident about his answer... I did a little bit of research. Yes, thank you. Uh, I wanted to know exactly what issues they were involved in. Because, they, yeah, he was saying they were, like, big activists. Yeah, and I think for the time, and especially the size of, of the community and the fact that they were probably... The only. The only. <laughs> uh, At least outspoken. Yeah, outspoken queer people in the community. I wanted to know what they were outspoken about. So, I looked it up. The couple had fought two Oregon state ballot initiatives in 1992 and 1993. The first intended to amend the state constitution to declare homosexuality, quote, abnormal, wrong, unnatural, and perverse. Womp, womp. And I love the fact that they were so outspoken about that. Yeah. And the second intended to restrict library access for materials related to homosexuality. So these are some bad bitches. Yeah, really. And that's... Wow, good for them. Heck good yeah. For them. I'm glad that you looked that up because I was curious too. So of course, because they were so active and outspoken and all of this in a smaller community, this of course could have been a reason for the murders. It could and have been a potential hate crime. It could have, which obviously they wouldn't have counted it as, but it would have been. Yeah. So three days after they went missing, a cable repairman found Roxanne's car a few miles away from the rental property in a parking lot. When police got to the scene, there was blood dripping from the underbody of the car, and they could see one of the woman's lifeless heads up near the front cab area of the pickup bed. The women were dead inside, covered in boxes. Both had been shot twice. They were bound, gagged, their eyes and mouths were covered, their hands were duct taped behind their backs, and their ankles were duct taped as well. They were shot with a 25 caliber, and I made a note of that because I think that's the first time 20. a 25 has made mentioned. an appearance on our podcast, at yeah. least. Yeah, we are now told that the crime scene did not appear to be a robbery, and the blood patterns indicate that Roxanne and Michelle must have been shot inside the truck because the four shell casings were found inside the truck near the body from that twenty-five. So they found shoe prints on the back of the truck, but no fingerprints. An autopsy showed the women were killed the day that they went missing, which... I don't know why, but for me, it brings a little bit of solace in a way, because I'm like, at least they didn't suffer for weeks on end or days on end. Yeah, they weren't tortured. Obviously, they were in fear up until the point at which they unfortunately were murdered Mm -hmm. by this horrible individual, but at least they weren't in fear for days and and weeks, et cetera, et cetera. There were also some greenish blue fibers found near the wounds, indicating that the gunman must have fired through an item like a blanket. They deduced that since one woman had a gash on her leg, the perpetrator must have bound the women inside the home, then cut their ankle bindings so that they could walk and then enter the truck. Residents of the building where Roxanne had planned to meet a possible tenant said they had seen a man at the vacant apartment the day the women went missing. They were able to describe him in enough detail to the police to make a composite sketch. The sketch incredibly, as they say, resembled the man who had found Roxanne's truck, the cable guy. (laughs) What is funny? <laughs> I have a note here that says, does it though? I Does it really especially when resemble see, the cable guy? <laughs> especially when you see like who it actually is. I'm like, mm. it feels like a stretch. It does, but it, it 
it's like, okay, fitting a, a square peg in a round hole, right? They're like, well, he found the truck and he wears glasses and parts his hair right there. So. That is absolutely like he <laughs> wears glasses and he parts his hair in the same way. It's got to be the same dude. Absolutely. But that cable guy should take it as a total compliment that anyone would suspect that that was him. Absolutely. And that's <laughs> all I'm going to say. <laughs> yep, I'm totally with you. So now we learn that the police did actually find fingerprints. It was on the duct tape used to bind the women. And now we're being told in the very forensic files patronizing way that it's very difficult to touch duct tape without touching the sticky side. Okay, full disclosure here. <laughs> I fancy myself a slay queen, right? Uh-huh. I consume a lot of true crime. I have for years. I was mind blown. At the brilliance of this, like, of checking the sticky side Uh of the tape for fingerprints. Sure. I was mind blown by it. It's a great thing, but I just thought it was, I mean, I thought it was genius, but I also thought it was funny that he had to explain to us that it's hard to touch tape without touching the, I'm like, duh, like, that. everybody knows that. Like, it's annoying. Uh, Well, I did not. I was, (laughs) I was, I was like, wow. And they even did a whole demonstration and like reenactment. And I was like, he's right. That's it's really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. We had different reactions and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> At least I was honest about it. <laughs> you were, you were, and I like yeah. that. I like that. I mean, I'm sure there's other people that feel the same way. I mean, we all have different reactions, right? Yeah. That's why they tell us these things on the show. And they took a good bit of time with this, they which did. is probably what happened to our luminol test. They it just was, didn't have time to include it. It was the equivalence <laughs> of the five minute luminol test thing. Yeah, you're right. The prince did not match the cable guy. So, nice little red herring there. The police then traced the calls made to Roxanne and Michelle's office. There had been a call traced to the Tiki Lodge Motel, or a low-rent motel in downtown Medford, Oregon. They couldn't track the room calls. They don't know which of the 30 rooms the call came from. So, almost all of them had been occupied the day of the murders, so that the police now had to start trying to look for all of the tenants. Which posed a problem because most of these people were using, like, basic names, Paying in cash, you know, it was just basically like dead ends all around at this no-tell motel. The sort of thing that you would expect looking at the guest registry of a seedy motel. Seedy motel, that's exactly right. A lot of John Smiths Mm -hmm. and people paying with cash. I think I would go with Jane Doe because I'm morbid. (laughs) (laughs) So now, based on the evidence, the police think someone from the Tiki Lodge Motel called the real estate agency and asked Roxanne to show him the vacant unit at the Sheridan Court Apartments. This meant that the killer was familiar with this vacancy and the surrounding areas. So around 11 a.m., Roxanne shows up to the apartment, but what happened during that time, we don't know. However, we do know that she was still alive at 5 p.m. to make the phone call to her partner, whom they keep referring to as her domestic partner, which I'm just like, can we not? (laughs) I, yeah, it was triggering for me. Because I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is her partner. This is her wife. This is her girlfriend. This is, you know, we have such better Yes, terminology. We have such better terminology now, but I kept reminding myself of A, when the crime happened, B, when this episode of The Forensic Files Mm -hmm. was made. So I guess content warning for anybody who might go and listen to it. It's it's not the most 2021 appropriate terminology you're going to hear. It's just annoying. <laughs> and also, also, I put a note here. I was like, okay, 11 to 5, this poor woman yes. was potentially like yes. with her perpetrator. A, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. B, no one saw these two people together for six full hours. 
That's mind blowing to mm-hmm. me. Oh, no one wondered where she was, I guess, for the six full hours. I mean, yeah, that's that's a great point. So she calls her partner, Michelle, to ask her to come pick her up, probably at gunpoint, with the false story that her car battery had died and she needed a ride home. And I did write here, I wrote six hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because you and I are essentially we're the same person. Yeah, pretty much. We think we mostly think the same. Mostly way. <laughs> the same, absolutely. So the killer then bound the women, escorted them to the truck through the garage without being seen. He most likely killed them in the garage using something with those blue-green fibers as a silencer. He drives off and leaves the truck three miles away in a parking lot, and all he leaves behind is fingerprints on the duct tape and his shoe impression, and of course, we have the composite sketch. So now it gets interesting. I like this. I like how this happens. A woman calls the police department to say the composite sketch looks remarkably like her 29-year-old son, Robert Ackermont. Her son. Her son. This poor woman, but... Oh, and she, they show a clip of her. She looks distraught. I mean, I feel it's heartbreaking. You can tell that she was genuinely shocked and just broken by mm-hmm. even the possibility that her son had done something so horrific and so terrible. But it's like you see an image, yeah. you know, that's my son. Like, yeah. you know. He was new to the area and was familiar with the vacant apartment. He had even taken her there, and they had been shown the place by Roxanne. Another thing, Robert's brother was the manager of the Tiki Lodge Motel. So it's all connecting Mm. a bit. Oh, the tangled web. (laughs) Oh, the tangled web we weave. (laughs) But he had no motive, no criminal record, and they have to bring up that he served honorably in the Air Force and had a master's degree. But there's another but on the other side of that. Now, but, 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 we're going back and forth here, flip-flopping. Mm-hmm. Now we learn a quick credit check shows Robert had also had an affinity for nightclubs, you know, like the kind with the entertainers and things. So this is bringing us back to the beginning, mm-hmm. so Flash that, to that scene again. That's starting to make some sense now. Full circle moment. So he headed to Vegas and fell in love with a dancer who he envisioned as his girlfriend. He was in debt as he had become, as they say, addicted to her, which I thought was a little bit like irony funny, not ha ha funny, because mm-hmm. they do bring up then that her name was Ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's kind of ironic. So again, <laughs> yeah, I I loved the irony slash universe, like giving him the old fuck you with mm-hmm. regard to that. But I also had a moment as the mindset of the research queen for this episode I was sitting there and I was scratching my beard going, I bet that's not her real name. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you Ecstasy's think? real name actually is Ala, A-L-L-A, Kosovo. And you oh. can find that information with just a basic Google search. She didn't need to change her name. She didn't. <laughs> actually, it's exotic enough. It really is. And I love that. if you do said basic Google search to figure out what her name is, you can actually find a photo in Google Images of her with Akramat. Oh. And honestly, I I expected more. Really? Not okay. That, not that she wasn't uh, a beautiful woman, but totally. if she's someone that someone would say, I've grown addicted to this person, I was expecting a little bit more, if I'm being she, honest. She must have been a really good dancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a really good school. <laughs> I don't know why I just flashed to like a clueless moment. You guys talk like grown-ups. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So she she said that he would spend up to $3,000 a weekend on her, and he was obsessed, insisted on calling her his girlfriend. 
we also learn like the family had kind of pleaded with him to you know stop doing this like obviously she's using you it's not a real relationship we also learned that he had spent most of his retirement and a total of about eighty thousand dollars on her he was very in debt at this point so the money runs out and she bails obviously it's it's they and they even say like you know it's I'm hired entertainment. You know, if you're not going to pay for the service that I'm providing, then goodbye. Like, this is over. That's yeah. how it works. Now we exit the strip club and we're flashed an adorable, like, Sears portrait photo of Roxanne and Michelle. And it's not a dig. It's just what we did back then. Yeah, <laughs> It's just no. what it was. <laughs> no, I mean, they paid good money for that. Absolutely. They probably stopped into Sears, bought a camcorder, got their photos taken. <laughs> My parents even still have some of our, like, our old, like, Sierra. Like, it's like the last time we had a family photo together. Yeah. So why not? My hair's orange. I'm, like, 13. It's great. <laughs> the narrator reminds us that the robbery did not seem to be the motive for the murders. So it doesn't seem like it, it would add up for him to murder them for money at this point. And put a little bit of a pin in that, mm -hmm. that it did not appear to mm -hmm. have been a robbery, because that's going to come up again later. Did not seem to be the motive. Yeah. Robert Ackermont's mother said he left Oregon after the murders, and he was headed for California, but she didn't know where. Which I thought was a little bit weird, because I'm like, why wouldn't you know where your son's going? I mean, maybe he's just private who knows but my mom would want to know where the hell i was i don't care what how old i am <laughs> and this is how we end the scene here with the narrator saying fortunately the police knew exactly how to find out <laughs> end scene <laughs> well i should hope so they're the police <laughs> that's what i'm thinking i'm like that's a little bit too much of an emphasis so lieutenant tom Doney donny now left oregon and followed robert's credit card activity i've always wanted to do that i've always wanted to like follow, follow somebody's credit card activity. like i really just want to know if i could do it so he follows it to stockton california at this point the police felt he was escalating and a danger to the public so a swat team apprehended Ackermont at a motel room without incident in the room he had a canvas bag with books about murder a taser handcuffs duct tape and a 25 caliber handgun with a homemade silencer and what did it look like it looked like this it had blue green fibers i was gonna say, say? <laughs> my note my note here is so he had a kill kit he did all tea call oh. it what it is he had a kill kit hold on dna evidence showed blood from both victims on the blanket the bluish green fiber silencer blanket his fingerprints matched the duct tape fingerprints and his shoes matched the footprints so it's a pretty solid case. These, yeah, this is solid evidence. Solid. Ackermont not only confessed, but he said it was in fact for money. He said he had spent all his money on the Las Vegas dancer and needed more, and thus hatched a plan to obtain more money. Lori, the daughter of Roxanne, says it's too bad for him that he felt like he had to buy love and he could never experience the type of love my mom had, which like makes me want to cry. It was such a tearjerker of a moment oh, it really was i really I, I teared up i did i started to well up a bit so the story goes ackermont had met roxanne ellis a few days before the murders when he went with his mother to look at the apartment he said he planned to force roxanne to give him a business check for fifty thousand dollars but she had to call michelle because a check that size requires both of the business partners signatures eventually though he realizes that he's not going to get away with this ridiculous plan because 50 grand it doesn't matter if there are two signatures the bank's going to be like, huh, okay, weird. Eventually, yeah, he decides he's not going to do it. He doesn't ever go to the bank. And at this point, he's escalating and he kills the two women. And are you ready? 
While talking to the police, he admits to having killed a friend of his, Scott George. He said he just wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. Yeah, it'll all make it'll all make a little more sense here in a minute. Although I did want to say this. Side note: whoever cast, because they, of course, as he's telling like what actually happened, they're showing the reenactment as part of the forensic sure. files episode. As Who they do. Whoever cast the actor that played him deserved a fucking raise. They did a fantastic job. Looked so yeah. much like him. I literally did a double take. It, they did a really fantastic no, job. No, you're not wrong. They, yeah. they, they, I felt like he was acting for himself, honestly. Yeah. yeah, no, that's why I did a double take. I was like, no, no, they wouldn't have... No, they that's wouldn't not, allow that. Yeah, they wouldn't allow that. No, that's not him, but oh, geez. Wow, yeah. yeah, they did a really good job. So, okay, I have a direct quote, though, from him that says, I'm not a psychotic in any means. Maybe a sociopath. I would admit that 100%. The police say during interviews he joked, laughed, showed no remorse. He says, and this is another direct quote, he says, The perfect murder has no bodies, no evidence. But that all got fouled up because Michelle told a co-worker where she was going, and that's why I left the bodies. Otherwise, they'd be down there in that mine shaft with that other guy down there in Stockton. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. He's a complete expert on... What a perfect murder What a perfect is. murder is, right? <laughs> He's a complete expert on that sort of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. This is coming from the guy who left his fingerprints on the tape, left his shoe prints on the vehicle where he had stashed the bodies, yeah. and allowed himself to be witnessed mm-hmm. by someone at the crime scene. And by the way, I, I wanted to point out, too, because he admits to three murders, that makes him a serial killer. Yeah. He is, officially. I was like, oh, he's a serial killer. And I, that's Legitimately crazy. is, huh. yes. Okay. Basically, they're telling us now that he had planned to kill them, but wasn't going to let them know that. And he very emphatically is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the one reporter says, you know, I had this interview with him. It was very chilling because he was very much just premeditated. Like, I knew I was going to do that, but I wasn't going to tell them that because I didn't want them to panic. So in October 1997, Robert Ackermont was convicted of two counts of aggravated murder, first-degree kidnapping and robbery, and was sentenced to death. As of the show airing, he still sits on death row, but not very quietly. They do mention one time he did try to kill himself by hanging. Obviously, he's not doing too well in prison, so... No, that he is not. Okay. And I do have some updates. Should we take a break and come back for some some tea? I'm so ready for it, yes. Let's <laughs> All right, quick break. Cool. All right, we have returned. We have. I'm so ready for this. I have some tea. Now, not a lot of tea, but the small amount of tea, like the tiny cup, like maybe one of those, like if you were doing it as like a one of those like little like toy tea sets like maybe <laughs> yes. that you had as like a little girl or a little gaby like i have a small amount of tea but, but it it's is highly concentrated s- it's highly concentrated <laughs> and it is scalding so mm. yes yes ma'am okay i will start with my sources i got this information from the cdcr.ca.gov which is the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation website. That's a lot of words. I'm like, what does that stand for? That is a lot. I also got some information from sfgate.com, which is a news outlet out of San Francisco. And I got a little bit of information from murderpedia.org. Just to quickly recap some of what we learned from the Forensic Files episode, and I mostly did this for me (laughs) and not necessarily the listeners, but in mid-December of 1995... 27-year-old Robert Ackermont was arrested for the murders of Michelle Abdil and Roxanne Ellis on December 4th. While detained for those crimes, Robert confessed to the murder of George Scott just seven weeks prior 
on October 3rd of 1995, and that happened in Stockton, California. That's my birthday. It is your birthday. (laughs) Yeah. So initially, he reported to law enforcement that his motivation for killing George was, quote, to see what it felt like to murder someone. Mm -hmm. And he also said that he had killed Michelle and Roxanne as a result of a botched robbery attempt. Mm -hmm. Right? So we all in agreement with that so far? That's what the information we have so far is. Okay. Let me give you a little follow-up information. In August of 1996, while he was awaiting trial for all of the victims... Those stories would change. Mm -hmm. In a letter that he sent to a newspaper, he retracted his previous claim of a robbery as the motive and implied that he had actually killed the women because of their sexual orientation. In that same three-page handwritten letter to the Stockton Record, which is Robert's hometown paper, he also claimed that the reason he took the life of George Scott was because the man was bisexual and one night that they were spending time together, George had made a pass at him. Oh, okay. Robert goes on to explain, quote, Originally, I was nervous about inmates' reactions to my reason for killing, in that they were hate crimes against bi and homosexuals. So I invented the money motive. Now I just don't care what people think, including the jury. They can kill me for all I care. I never liked life anyway, end quote. Wow. Bold, bold statements. But also, too, I wonder, like, did you change your tune because you realized that people in prison might, like, you might find a crew that would accept you for that being your reason? I I do question, you know? yeah, I do question slightly what the real truth is. Regardless, it's a, it's, a, it's fucked up that he yeah. would even say that's the reason, whether it was or not, like... I think, I mean, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think so, too. I truly do. Do I think that he's homophobic or queerphobic in some sort of way? Do I think that these crimes were at least in some part motivated by the sexuality of these people yeah. and his discomfort with that? Absolutely, Like, I do. had he, he probably would have chosen to rob someone regardless, but had this real estate agent that he just so happened to meet looking at the apartment with his mom that one day, had she not read the part of a lesbian probably to him, yeah. would he have chosen her? Probably not. Probably so, yeah, not. you're right, yeah. probably somewhere in the middle. It was a hot combination. Yeah. So that was interesting. That was what he wrote in the letter to the newspaper. Okay. Then later in a telephone interview, so people from the Stockton Record, people from the newspaper contacted him in prison by phone. They quoted Ackermont as saying, I've known bisexual women, and that's cool. I have no problem with that. I have no compassion, though, for lesbians or bisexual or gay men. I can't deal with it, end quote. God. And how fucking, like, stereotypical. Yes. How many times have I heard that from, like, a cis straight man? Ugh. Complete just eye roll. Eye roll. Bullshit button has made an appearance. It's been a Finally, while. It has been a while. I was <laughs> thinking been a that while. earlier. That's my bad. I've not been uh, bringing him out in a I haven't think- I've been thinking. I have one over there too, and I keep forgetting to bring it out. Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah. Complete bullshit. Complete mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. As a punishment for the lives he took, Robert Ackermont was sentenced to death by the state of Oregon in 1997, as well as the state of California in 2002. Oh, wow. So he actually received a death sentence from each state because he had committed murder in each state. Who gets to have him? Who gets to have him? Well, it was determined that he was going to stay on death row 
uh, in Oregon, actually. So he stayed on death row in a solitary cell in Oregon at the Oregon State Penitentiary. And he was there until August 26th of 2018. Oh, wow. Ask me what happened on that day. Uh Uh-oh. He was found dead. Oh, what happened? A spokeswoman for the penitentiary said of his death, quote, there was nothing suspicious that we know of, end quote. A medical examiner later determined that Robert had died of natural causes. What? Yeah. That's not fair. I mean, it's not. He should have suffered a little bit more. I think we often say that whenever there's someone who's sentenced to life or sentenced to death and they die of, you know, some sort of natural cause or other means while they're in prison. But at least the remainder of his time here... In this world, (laughs) he was alone and hopefully haunted Mm -hmm. by the horrific things that he had done in his life. Hopefully he was sorry. And hopefully now he's, yeah. (laughs) He's dealing, he's he's paying. He's uh, hopefully now... He's in his uh, another life as a hopefully he's now, reincarnated as a pooper scooper. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I like that. I like that a lot. And that is all I have. Like I said, not a ton of it's tea. It's a good tea though for like our particular pot. It's like it was made for us, you know. It was Absolutely. Like this definitely uh added insult to the LGBT injury basically. Absolutely. And it was another one of those cases where I was well, do you think, too, that he maybe if he, he used that as his his stance, he changed it to being basically like gay panic? Do you think maybe he thought that he would have a chance at for an appeal or something? Yeah, maybe because it could be. I mean, that's what that one guy was thinking that. Yeah. Shit stain. Dale Wayne Sigler. <laughs> yeah. Dale Wayne shit stain. And people have gotten off that way. People so. have. And we've talked about maybe it. He talked to enough people and thought maybe that could work for me, you know? I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I didn't look far enough into his case to see whether or not he had the opportunity for an appeal or if he tried an appeal. But I think you probably nailed it when you said that he was in pursuit of the sort of reputation Mm -hmm. that he would have in prison for committing these horrific acts against queer people because they were queer Mm -hmm. as opposed to... Well, it was just a robbery gone bad. Well, I was just in love with a, an exotic dancer and I needed more money. Exactly. And I failed to do that well. I can't commit a robbery, so I just committed murder. That seems a little bit lame, I yeah, guess. It does seem lame. And he seems like less of a badass. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely correct. Maybe that story, the new story, helped him fit in with a particular group of individuals better than the previous story had. But like I said, I believe that the truth does lie somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, thanks for the updates. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is another one of those cases where when I got the updated information, I was like, you know what? I'm really glad that it's a podcast like ours Mm -hmm. that is looking into this information, looking into the information that wasn't covered on the forensic files episode because it makes it, like you said, even more relevant to us. To what we do. To what we do. <laughs> so thank you for helping me tell the story. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I mean, we traveled me down the road and... Back again. Back again, yeah. <laughs> Your heart is true. I mean, you're a pal and a confidant. <laughs> Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to wrap this thing yeah, up. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. All <laughs> so right. So if you want to give us all the good feedback, we would love a nice five-star rate and review on Apple. We would. But we can also be contacted at different social media platforms. <gasps> I finally made an actual TikTok on my personal TikTok, so yes. I feel like we can start working towards maybe doing okay. stuff for that. Let's so do that. We have a TikTok now. We have Instagram. We've got Twitter. SlayQueensPod at gmail.com, SlayQueensPod everywhere, and what were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say, and if you do not stream podcasts on Apple Podcasts specifically, that's okay. Mm-hmm. We are available to stream literally everywhere. Everywhere now. Literally everywhere. And if you can't rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening, we would love it if you would share us yes. on your social media. Share us with a friend. Share us with some folks. Share us. Tag us. Yes. We want to grow the queendom as much as we can. And I really, 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 really want more interaction with the listeners and the folks absolutely that's part of the biggest motivation for me mm-hmm. part of especially when we're you know stuck inside so often now exactly <laughs> we thank you all so much for supporting the show and being here and listening to these stories and telling these stories sharing these stories with people mm-hmm. we also would hope that you would all go out and slay queens <laughs> just not <laughs> just not each other not each other <laughs> And not, and not your realtor. Not your realtor. Come on. Or your friend who maybe had a few too many drinks and got a little friendly with you. Yeah, no, that's not okay. That's Never not okay. okay. Just say no, sir. Just say no, sir. And I walk say no away. and walk away. No exactly. means no. No means no. No does not mean I'm going to kill you now and dump you down a fucking mine shaft. A mine shaft. Ugh, don't be that guy. Yeah, don't. Bye, folks. Bye. <laughs> I'm going away. <laughs>